On this episode of Bootstrappers, we're going to talk about imposter syndrome and discuss what it is and how to overcome it. That's next. Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to this episode of Bootstrappers. I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, and Jeremy Aspen is actually in Mexico, so he's missing us today. Um, On Bootstrappers, we talk about topics that are important to property management entrepreneurs and people in the real estate industry. And today, we have a super interesting topic that we're covering. We're going to speak about imposter syndrome, which a lot of entrepreneurs and really a lot of people suffer from. So I'm really excited to introduce to you our uh, guest, Nicole Lynch-Winkler, who is executive coach and former therapist who runs life coaching and development here in Omaha. And we're going to have a fun conversation. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this. I think it really impacts a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone, if you are a fan of the show, please share with your friends, like, and subscribe. At the end of the show, we will announce the book that we will be giving away this week. To participate in the book giveaway, please go to our YouTube channel and click click on the link in the description of this episode or visit Instagram at Bootstrapper Show and click the link in our bio. So, um, imposter syndrome. So, I know that you deal with professional, lots of professionals as an executive coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you've seen imposter syndrome show up in some of your clients. How would you define imposter syndrome? So it would be defined by doubting yourself and Mm -hmm. your abilities. Do I really deserve this? Did I work hard enough for this? Am I just lucky? I only got to where I am because of somebody that I know. And it's not about the hard work that has been done. It's about, I don't really, I feel like I'm living a life that isn't really my own. I don't deserve this life. And so are there certain segments of society that suffer more from imposter syndrome than others? So it actually touches a wide range of population. It can be anywhere from your actors and actresses to an entrepreneur to a manager in a department store. It doesn't really matter. It can touch anyone, Um, just kind of anybody that has accomplishments. And it really hits people that have a lot of accomplishments. So that's the most interesting thing about it, right? Because it's like this crazy self-doubt that really impacts all parts of your life. And when people feel that self-doubt, they feel as if they are a fraud and they feel like they accomplish nothing. And yet you're saying that the opposite is actually true. It's like a sign that you are successful. Sure. And some theories could be, I these are the most accomplished people because they are still trying to prove to themselves, I belong here and I do deserve this life and I do deserve where I am. Um, and it's just this constant like hamster in a wheel, like I'm working hard, I'm working hard, I'm working hard. And yes, you are. And the whole outside world sees that, but inside you don't feel that. Mm. It sounds kind of like also maybe a, a wiring, like like that conscientiousness, that always striving. Mm-hmm. What, do you think it affects people who are more, I don't know, on the neuro- neurotic spectrum of personalities? 
It could. Absolutely. Maybe a little more anxious. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I actually, the reason I wanted to talk about this today on the Bootstrapper Show is because I have suffered tremendously from imposter syndrome and parts of my career. Mm-hmm. And so I actually was inspired a little bit to go a little deeper and talk about some harder things. I was inspired by our mayor who recently went through a terrible experience where her super high-flying husband who was the director at a giant medical center here, he recently uh, died by suicide. Mm -hmm. And she's been so courageous to share um, you know some of the details about his pain and how his personality has changed over the course of COVID and how it kind of affected him and then also admitting that she was going to seek some help you know following the tragedy of his death so I think it's important for people who have a show or um, are in a leadership position to kind of share some of their struggles so people don't feel so alone when they may be going through them too. Mm-hmm. Have some vulnerability. Yeah. So Who's I'm going to really, dive. <laughs> I love that because we connect a lot more to people when they're vulnerable. That's true. They become more human to us, whether right. that be a celebrity or the owner of a company or a CEO, it doesn't matter. You know, we connect to people when we're most vulnerable sometimes. So in the the spirit of connecting, um, my journey with imposter syndrome, um, I think it really showed itself the most, I I guess I'll go back to uh, my late teens, early 20s. I'm not gonna go into the details, but um, I, had some like abuse and major traumatic experience and it kind of changed the trajectory of my life and from that I really felt this intense shame and this fear that I would be found out that people would find out what happened to me Mm -hmm. essentially and so um, and I didn't want to feel that shameful so I made a point to achieve 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 or you know, try to achieve. In some cases, I did fail, but um, just really needed that outward validation mm-hmm. that I had some worth and value. And it got to a point, I mean, things worked out. Uh, Anaquim did well. We had uh, 100 people working under us. And we had the remote professional program and we had the call center up and running. And I had given up my operational tasks to very uh, impressive managers. And I just got to that moment where I wasn't working you know, to a job at night, a job in the morning. Oh, and I have two kids. Mm-hmm. And I just recognized that there was no resume builder that was going to make me feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, And I suffered, some examples of what I suffered through is I had very bad posture, which is, (laughs) um, and I remember, I did uh, run for a legislature, I remember my campaign manager constantly on my back about my posture. Um, When I spoke, when I did public speaking events, I was a very uneven speaker. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would do well, and sometimes I wouldn't do well. And when I wouldn't do well, it was because uh, as I walked up to speak, that traumatic event would flash before my eyes, and I would feel like the people in the audience would know that this happened. They'd really see you. They would really see me. They would like know that this horrible thing happened to me and they would judge me upon it. Mm -hmm. And so 
then I would be an uneven performer. I wouldn't be able to remember my speech. And then I'd have the embarrassment of failure. And then also, when I even when I did speak well, I would have to prepare an inordinate amount of time just to do any kind of public speaking event. Mm -hmm. And then I would have this vulnerability hangover and I couldn't do anything for like two days afterwards. So my ability to bounce back after simply giving a speech was very bad. It would take a lot out of you. It totally took a lot out of me. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition to that, I had major insomnia um, and a low grade depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I also was just an uh, absolute workaholic because that was the only way I felt any worth. And um, I thought that the only thing that that I could contribute to the world was by like providing value, mm-hmm. constant value. So at this moment, when every when the operational tasks were given away, I also looked at my managers and I was like, they are awesome people. They're not going to continue to follow me. I'm sure they see this massive insecurity in me. I've got to go and figure this out. So so then I did go to Stephen Bowman. I love him. He's at Old Market uh, Therapy. And he did EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing for the traumatic event and he also does internal family systems work and we dug up all the bodies and we did opt- autopsies on all the past events and it it really did improve my imposter syndrome ter- ter- uh, tremendously mm-hmm. so um, I'm like nicer in my head because also isn't that one of the symptoms Nicole that people just talk to themselves like they're total jerks like they're so mean and cruel to themselves when they speak to themselves mm-hmm. like I what are some examples this. I'm not worth it um, somebody's gonna figure this out I'm just faking it till I make it, um, which sometimes we have to do really in reality, but then we go out and we go beyond that. We find our resources. We find people that actually know what they're doing. We ask questions, um, but they use, you know, somebody that would struggle with imposter syndrome would have those reoccurring thoughts over and over again. Um, difficulty sleeping. I'm not surprised. Workaholic. I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, just this constant need to prove myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's that berating. It's like a constant berating in your ha- in your head. I do remember Jeremy was very supportive. He's always been supportive, but he said, "I think you're." Uh, like an enemy in your head like Mm -hmm. there's an enemy living in your head and that's that's almost who you are at this point because you're so mean to yourself Mm -hmm. and so so that was what we were trying to fix through Stephen and I together uh, through the therapy I went with him now um, so now I'm more compassionate towards myself. I'm not so perfectionistic. If I make a mistake, I can recover faster. It doesn't have that downtime where it just takes forever to get over, you know, a small mistake or saying the wrong thing or Mm -hmm. doing something stupid. Um, And then I'm more grateful. And I've also been able to reframe my experience as you know more of a survivor and see myself more as like a hustler and uh 
I don't uh, more gritty and resourceful mm-hmm. instead of you know I'm a horrible person people will find me out that uh you know worthless all those negative stories mm-hmm. I've been able to reframe it into something positive and we're you know not everybody goes through some like ridiculous traumatic event so we're going to kind of talk about ways through co- what is it cognitive behavioral therapy yeah yep CBT CBT on how the listeners could reframe some imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about limiting beliefs. So that's kind of the core of these issues is that people have a limiting belief. Where do those come from generally? Well, we usually carry those with us for a long time. So our limiting beliefs or our core beliefs are the things that we believe about ourselves, other people, and the world around us. And they are not necessarily rational. Um, they can be very irrational, but it's how we filter all of our thoughts come from there. So like our core beliefs are up here and then our thoughts filter through those. And we have thoughts, feelings, and behaviors underneath that. And so that's what CBT really focuses on. What is that belief? Is that belief serving you? Is it true? I like to ask the question, fact or fiction? Is this a fact? Or is this fictional? So I'm not good enough. I can't do this. They're going to figure me out. Things Mm -hmm. like those thoughts that go through your head. Well, is that a fact? And what's the evidence up until this point? So those all sound like very absolutist statements. Mm -hmm. Right? So when you do fact or fiction, you're asking someone to tease out uh, the black and white nature of the thought, right? Mm -hmm. So can you dig into how that that someone could identify that they have an irrational thought? Okay, so tell me what one of your thoughts, it's better kind of in practice. Yeah, let's try it. What's one of your thoughts that you had before you would give a speech? So I would think like uh, people will realize it's just me up here. Because I didn't feel like uh, I was worthy of listening to. So, right? So, I guess it, it, it would stem from an unworthiness belief. Like, I am unworthy of speaking to these people. Mm-hmm. Well, they have no business listening to me. Right. They have no business listening to me. Why would they listen to what I have to say? Sure. So, then the thoughts that would filter down through that belief, I'm not worthy. There's no reason that these people should be listening to me. And what were the feelings associated with it? So intense shame, um, anxiety, mm-hmm. fear. I think that that's a pretty comprehensive list. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And what we would consider more negative feelings, not mm-hmm. not positive, not building yourself up to go out and give a speech. Right. Um, but more kind of... Uh, self-fulfilling prophecy so to speak so then when you would go out and give the speech I heard you say you were very up and down with that what was the behavior that was associated with it so I get and I still get this to a point but it's not so debilitating but I would get this like lump in my throat where I couldn't get the words out 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I would sweat profusely. Mm-hmm. And I would find, probably because I was coming from such a place of l- the limiting belief, the one person in the audience who looked completely bored and unsatisfied and like they didn't want to be there and kind of focus on that person as like, see, they didn't, didn't want to be here. And I knew it. it yeah, I knew it, exactly. Yeah. And so that would be where I would get really caught off guard. And then I would start shaking. Mm. And then you could hear the shaking in my voice. And then it would make it even worse because I was like, see, they can see through me. They can hear it in my voice. And then it was a self-perpetuating cycle. Yes, yes. So then tell me a little bit about, since you've done this work with Steven, yeah. what is that thought now? What is that belief system that you have? So I do, I'm more open. So I used to be afraid someone would find out, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, they'll find out who I am. So I've practiced some more openness and sharing my life more with people. I've received, you know, love back. And so it hasn't enforced that, that fear. Mm -hmm. And so when I go up to speak, because I've spoken several times since then, um, I'm, I come from a place where I'm finally okay with my life and I'm okay with the events that have happened and I'm, I've reframed it where I'm somebody that has had life experience but it doesn't make me unworthy of, of where I am in my life. Mm-hmm. So um, it also has enabled me to have more breath of emotion. Mm -hmm. So my emotions were very, I only had access to a few of them when I was in that space. Mm -hmm. And now I feel access to a lot more emotions. I don't lose sleep. I take care of myself because that was one of the other things when you're unworthy, Mm -hmm. that workaholicness, um, you never feel worthy to take care of yourself. So I would, you know, I, I'm eating, I'm sleeping. Um, I'm uh, taking vitamins. Mm -hmm. They take vitamins now. I'm a person who takes vitamins. (laughs) Talk about adulting. (laughs) I know, right? And so, um, so those, I I make sure that I take care of myself and that even in and of itself, I can perform better. So Mm -hmm. like you were saying, it's a self uh, fulfilling prophecy when you're so negative and then you can't sleep and you can't take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. It promotes, uh, you know, some of some of the biggest fears that you have coming from that space. Mm-hmm. So, and then now I say, before I go up on the stage, uh, my friend Tom Becca gave me a quote and now I'm believing it. I used to say it to try to believe it, but now I actually believe it. And he said, listen up, mo- mofos. He said, <laughs> listen up, mofos. I have something to say. <laughs> and so I, I say that to myself before I go on stage and it's more a positive experience. I won't say that I don't get nervous at all, Mm-hmm. Uh, like when the hot lights come on or, you know, there's a big crowd of people, but the, but I can manage it in just a few seconds mm-hmm. and then get into my space and start speaking. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, that's one example. So one of the things that I think, uh, so, so let's go through the CBT before I was going to say something else, but let's go through the CBT. So we just went through fact or fiction. Mm-hmm. And so you would tease out, um, the, that irrationality of a belief. Yes, so we would, that's that belief system and that's disputing it. So okay. I, I would ask a client, I would ask anyone, dispute your belief system. Is this fact or fiction? And how's this serving me? 
Okay, so like if I said I'm worthless, mm-hmm. then you would say, like what worthless in all experiences or how would you tease that out so it's not so absoluteless absolute it doesn't have that absoluteness quality what evidence do you have up until this point that you're worthless okay so i would just be like oh this horrible thing happened to me and you would be like so that makes you worthless right Mm -hmm. is that yeah and what else (laughs) and we would go down like all those all the things that happen that cause the limiting belief Mm -hmm. We could. We could go down that route. I could say, well, what has happened in your life, even in the past six months, that tells you differently? Okay, so you go through all the reasons why you feel worthless. And I'm sure, do people kind of notice how silly it is when they say it? Or not silly, maybe is the wrong word, but that those when they're saying those things do they kind of have some aha moments typically? Yeah, and I'll do a few of those. And then I like to focus on what is what disputes that what has happened or what has somebody told you that disputes that Mm. what has made you know what has somebody said to you that has made you feel worthy and then if you can switch gears there it's like oh well i did have a coworker say this or i had um one of my managers say that or i received this award or i was offered this opportunity to give this speech Okay, so so then you kind of can see that that limiting belief, that absolutist think is that even the term absolutist absolute thinking, thinking absolute yep. thinking it's all or nothing all or nothing I'm either worthy or I'm unworthy and so it kind of gives it a gray area like mm-hmm. gray space to live in so that can kind of help people reframe yes okay great and then you help them with a new thought to replace the old thought yeah what's that new belief system going to be? What's your new thought going to be associated with that? There are times in my life where I've been worthy. Okay. So the, so I am worthy would be like the new thought Mm -hmm. and I can prove that now. This is an opportunity to prove that. Okay. So, so we go from fact or fiction then to a new thought. And then what is the next step of the CBT? A new behavior, a new behavior. So what are you going to do? What's your action item? And that could be anywhere from I'm going to record a podcast to I'm going to um, change policies and procedures and I'm going to put something in place Um, or I'm going to reach out to somebody that I know has, you know, this new coding thing that has to be done. You don't have to go learn to code, but reaching out to somebody who does know how to code and using your resources. So it's basically taking that overwhelming feeling, because if you're coming from a space of being unworthy, say, mm-hmm. uh, uh, taking that belief system, that overwhelmed feeling, and kind of coming up with an action plan to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are your resources? I will always ask that question. Who are your resources? Who's in your network that you can ask about this or talk to about this? Um, you know, what have you done in the past that's worked? Yeah, and I'm sure there's some things that people could write down. I mean, do you have any writing exercises so that someone could kind of work with their own imposter syndrome? Mm-hmm. What exercises would you recommend people write down? Uh, evidence, like evidence index cards are good. You can put them in your wallet, you can put them in your purse. Evidence that you are worthy. Evidence that you are worthy, yes. What are the examples that you have where you were worthy or you felt worthy? Maybe it's a recommendation letter somebody wrote you to get into school or graduate school or for a job. Um, Those are all 
evidence. Those are all pieces of tangible evidence. We like tangible things as humans. We do. And then the other thing is that when you are in that super dark space, Mm -hmm. you don't remember any of those things. So it's nice to even maybe write yourself a letter when you feel great so that when you feel really bad, you can kind of remind yourself that that's not how things have always been. Yes, absolutely. Journaling works for some people, um, just getting your thoughts out. And uh, I do like that factor fiction. I just make like a cross table, like a pro and con table. What's What are the facts? What is the fiction? What is not true that I'm telling myself? What's rational? What's irrational? can really help to pick that apart. And some people just fold that up and they put it in their glove compartment box of their car and they look at that before they go to a big meeting. They look at that before they go on a show somewhere um, or make any big decision. I am capable of making these decisions. Um, People do trust me. I am not in this position because I was lucked into it. I've actually worked really hard to get here. Another strategy um, or another thing I think is very important is to be at peace with your past. Like you said, you went and got the help that you needed to help you work through that. So when we're more at peace with our past and we can accept that, that's not a part of who we are. It's a part of who we've become and we can grow through that. I always go back to Tony Robbins. um, Something that he said was, if if you're going to blame your parents or blame your life or blame the people, the bullies or anything like that for all the bad things that happened, you have to also blame them for the good things that happened. And it's like, okay, well, maybe I did grow up that way or maybe that traumatic event did happen to me, but what did I learn from it? How did, how am I gonna grow through this and really become my best self? Uh, and that's where the grit comes from and that resilience piece. And that's what we love about you know, people in business. Like they're, they have a lot of grit and that's a really great quality to have. And that comes from having tough experiences a lot of times. Yeah, and I do wanna say, I mean, getting over a past event or even long-term issues in your past, it can be a major challenge. And Mm so I know you practice CBT and these are very helpful skills, but I wanna make sure people know that not each type of therapy works for each person. Mm -hmm. So there was a great book that I read um, called The Body Keeps Score by Bessel Vanderkin. Yes. I'll have it in the notes. But um, that book is amazing. It is. And it kind of outlines some of the lesser known therapy, what do you call them, modalities Mm -hmm. or something like that. in case some of the more traditional approaches aren't gonna work for a person. Yes. And they don't work for everybody depending on what you've been through. Mm -hmm. And people might have to try different therapists, different things, but not to lose hope. Is a, is a key message. I, if one modality doesn't work, there are a lot of other ones. There's even um, psychedelic drugs that people are trying <laughs> to get over their past. And uh, it's like legit. Jo- uh, John Hopkins University is facilitating mm-hmm. some of those trials. Mm-hmm. And those have seen a lot of uh, success with some people. Yeah, that started in Europe. Yes, it did. Uh-huh. And there's actually, I watched a movie on that. Um, where they, I guess in Israel you can film patients and it was called Trips of Compassion. It was very good. Oh, but I'll have to watch that. I haven't heard of that. (laughs) Um, it is important to know that I do think that getting over your past and being like comfortable with that piece of it will be a huge part of accomplishing the rest of what it takes to get over imposter syndrome. Yes. And, and I just thought that was really important to put out there because if I, 
come and I am vulnerable with you and I say, yes, this is where I came from. I don't have to get into all the nitty gritty details. details. Not at all. But I don't have to also be ashamed of it because it made me who I am. Mm -hmm. And whatever that happened to me and whatever happened to you, we ended up in the same room together. Right. And so you have your journey. I have my journey. That person has their journey. And it's really cool that we all are here now. It led us all here. So really the past is the past. It doesn't have to haunt us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then there's one other piece of that past is uh, we get used to those patterns of thinking, Mm -hmm. right? The absolute thinking. And sometimes even when we heal, it's scary to give up that that past thinking model because it does help you. Oh yeah. I mean, being uh, having imposter syndrome drove me to that place of success. Now, I don't think that that mode of driving myself with that kind of cruelty was sustainable mm-hmm. or would get me to the next phase. People always think what got them to here is going to get them to the next stage. And that's not always the case. You True. can hit a ceiling. Absolutely. Um, and so, but there is a fear if something's worked for you of giving it up. And yeah. um, there's this other thing. If you come from an absolute thinking disposition, you think if I give up imposter syndrome, well, then I'm going to be an insufferable jerk. <laughs> Like that's the opposite, right? Yes, yes. The pendulum swings from one side all the way to the other. But what is that balance? And that's still absolute. Right, because you're like, I'm going to be an arrogant jerk. I'm going to go into a room and act like a know-it-all and tell everyone they're wrong. And and that's the fear, right? So how do you stay humble? How do you stay humble? Well, so, but I think it's kind of a natural progress is that the absolute thinking makes you think it's it's either this mm-hmm. or it's this other huge extreme. Mm-hmm. And really the truth is in the middle. And for me, the truth has been um, that when you're comfortable with yourself and you have inner peace to some degree, I mean, mm-hmm. no one's perfect, but some inner peace, you don't have a need to be insufferable jerk, mm-hmm. right? And you have compassion for yourself. You can have compassion for other people. Mm-hmm. And so I think that fear is is outsized for the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And I think gratitude is a great exercise to practice as well for that. Mm-hmm. If you remain humble and you remain grateful Yes. And you are practicing that mindset. How would you be a complete egotistical jerk? Right. If you're being, if if you're practicing that mindset and being grateful for, I mean, really there's a lot to be grateful for. Yeah, for sure. That's a whole nother topic in and of itself. But, you know, I think that is a strategy to use to make sure that you don't swing so far the other way. And when you're a whole person, you're, you know, you're, you have, I mean, no one's perfect again, but you have a lot of the pieces going well in your life. What it allows you to do is kind of be in the moment and focus on others. Mm -hmm. So now that I've gone through this journey and I feel like I'm on the other side of it, and it doesn't mean that, uh, I, I feel like instead of having this this sense that I'm a fraud in all areas of my life. Mm -hmm. I can now be more realistic about my areas where I'm really not, I'm not strong. Mm -hmm. And then I'm able to ask for help in that specific area. Yes. So shows vulnerability and humanity. Yes. And now there's a healthy way 
to overcome failure because we're still going to come into failure and incompetence and a lot of negative feelings. Maybe because we're talking about contrast, can you talk about what a healthy response is to failure and competence instead of going through a shame spiral and going through all the imposter mm-hmm. syndrome and negative thinking? Absolutely. Well, failure first and foremost, and this could be a whole new like belief system, failure is an opportunity. Mm. That's all that failure is. It's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow. We oftentimes, though, see failure as such a negative experience that, oh my gosh, and we catastrophize it, and it's awful, and how am I ever going to get over this? But failure is just that opportunity to learn something and move forward. Okay. And so that's a restructuring. So let's say I totally screw up. Let's say, um, I don't know, I just screw up in front of you, Nikki, and I ruin your day, and I say something horrible to you. Um, instead of going through a shame spiral, what should be my reaction to my knowledge that I hurt somebody and that I, I failed big time, fell well, on my face? A, a healthy reaction to that? Yes. Own it. Own it. Own Just it. Say, Take responsibility for it. Okay. So Nikki, I'm so sorry I did this. And, and you're going to be like, harder on yourself than I am going to be on you. Okay, so I own it, I say I'm sorry, and I guess the difference is I don't say I'm bad, mm-hmm. like I don't own this like shame of I'm bad. Yes. Instead, I did a bad thing, mm-hmm. and Nikki, I'm gonna make it up to you, I'm it's super sorry. It's about my sorry. behavior, yeah. So we it's can about, change our behaviors a lot easier than we can change like who we are at the core. So if we're gonna give up imposter syndrome, and we're gonna get to have a healthy coping mechanism when we fail. Yeah. It's gonna look like just owning the failure and not making it into our whole personality and whole life as a disaster. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to uh, redeem ourselves in any way we can um, and make up for it by our actions. And that's the healthy humble response to failure that we should have yeah. as opposed to the imposter syndrome. And move forward. Move forward move faster. Move forward, yes. Because when we share our experiences with others as well, like you shared today, that's gonna hit somebody, at least one person that listens to your podcast. Somebody yeah. will resonate with that. And that is really when we can share and be vulnerable and share our experiences. People might need to do the same thing and fall on their face and learn from it, but it's like, oh, she bounced back from it. I'm gonna bounce back too. And how am I gonna do that? What strategies am I gonna put in place to do that? I do remember, I was listening to Barbara, I think it was Barbara Cornan, I think that's her name, Mm -hmm. she's on Shark Tank. And she was describing, she has had some massive failures as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was watching a YouTube video of hers. And she said that the people that succeeded the most in real estate in New York when she first got in it were the people that bounced back the fastest from failure. And what giving up imposter syndrome does is it allows you to bounce back quickly. As I said earlier in the show, one of the symptoms of mine was that when I would give a speech, Mm -hmm. I'd have to spend like two days recovering. So without the imposter syndrome, when I do fail, I can pick myself up faster. So Mm -hmm. that's the positive aspect of like overcoming it and coming up with a new, more positive framing so that we can get back on our feet and start yeah. you know, giving to our organizations again. Yes, so think about like the energy it takes when you shame spiral. Ugh. That's a ton of energy. Totally. And it wears you out emotionally, physically. So 
not shame spiraling, changing that thought process using CBT or another strategy that you have to pull yourself out of it and say, okay, that didn't go as planned, (laughs) you know? And we have to have some humor about it too, I think. We have to be able to laugh at ourselves and not take ourselves so seriously because guess what? We all make mistakes. Yes. And I'd much rather be in a room full of people that will own their own mistakes than to blame other people or put it off on someone else because there's so much more growth that comes with that for you, for me, for everyone. And I think as people, I know people watching this show are in business and work in organizations. When we own our own, our own mess, our own past, and we find peace to some, you know, maybe not world peace or perfect inner peace, but some peace, then we're able to be present in our moment. And then when we see other people who are suffering from imposter syndrome, we can call it out. I actually did this recently in a meeting. I noticed that somebody in, uh, in that format, their voice was two octaves higher than it usually is. Mm. They were more meek in the meeting. And so after it, I kind of asked, you know, what's, what's going on? What was it about that meeting that, you know, made you not your best self? Mm -hmm. And I said, look, when you, uh, when you aren't your best self, the whole organization loses. Mm -hmm. I like seeing that spicy version of yourself, that competent version of yourself. And I think that that's really what we want to get out of this show is that beating imposter syndrome and taking the efforts to do so is really good, not only for our own lives, but also where we're putting our energy, we can give more Mm -hmm. to our families, our businesses, our communities Mm -hmm. when we don't play small. Mm -hmm. And when we don't play small, then we can recognize when other people are playing small and kind of encourage them to, you know, live, live a bigger life as well. Absolutely. You were aware of it and you were comfortable enough and confident enough saying, Hey, you cheated us today. And yeah. you cheated yourself more importantly. Yeah. And so, so we love seeing we the big the version, of, version you. of you. Yeah, yeah. We need that as an organization. You need that as a person and um, really to like help build, build that up because that's what you do want from your employees. Yes. And just uh, with our, with our children and our community, when we get healthy, I, th- I think it helps us make everybody else healthier and, and support others better. Mm -hmm. So, well, this has been a super fun topic. I'm so grateful for you, Nicole Winkler of Life uh, Coaching and Development here in Omaha for your help today discussing this really important topic. Um, And we have a book giveaway. Yeah. So our book giveaway is uh, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from the Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It by Valerie Young. And this really isn't just a book for women. It mm-hmm. really is a book for all people. Um, and to participate in the book giveaway, please go to our YouTube channel and click in the link in the description of this episode or visit our Instagram at Bootstrapper Show and click the link in our bio. Thanks again, Nikki. Oh, thank it you was so, so lovely to have you here again. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap. We'll see you next week on Bootstrappers. Bye. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net.
Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers.